Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Dr. Grand Dr. Doreen Grand Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with the fabulous, the stunningly beautiful, the brilliantly intelligent <laughs> Dr. Doreen Graham today. And I'm, can you tell I'm a little excited can to be I'm here? Can I stop you before you... <laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> you know, I never let her talk. I, you know, guests always come on the show and they're like, well, I'm not sure... Like, I, I, you know, if they've never done been on a show before and they're like, I'm not sure I'm going to know what to say. And I say, oh, bless your heart. You think I'm going to let you get a word in edgewise? Because uh, I overtalk everyone, including Dr. Graham. No, Pichet, not that. I'm just like, you embarrass me. You're too kind. Thank <laughs> no, no, you. No, 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 no. Uh, but thrilled to be here with you guys. We're going to be live for the next hour. For those of you who don't know her, Dr. Graham Pichet is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for over 40 years. Over 40. I'm not saying 14, y'all. I'm saying four zero years. And it's, it's more than four oh, years. Yeah, yeah. And she's yeah. been working in this field, working with all kinds of individuals on the spectrum from very young babies up through senior citizens and, of course, everything in between. Mm-hmm. Young kids, young tweens, teens, young adults and adults. So she has a wealth of knowledge and truly has been a visionary for so many of us because not only, I think that you're really good at perspective taking, and I know we're going to talk about perspective <laughs> taking today, um, but not only is she good at taking the perspective of our kids and our teens and our adults and helping to advocate for them because she has, she's a world-renowned advocate for people on the spectrum, but also for the people who love them. And if you watch this show and if you watch stuff on the Autism Network, we're all about that, the people on the spectrum and the people who love them. Yeah. That's really the ticket. So she's here with us for this next hour. She donates her time to be here to answer your questions in real time. The chat is open. We already have some questions, and I'm saying good morning to a bunch of people. Um, but I want you to know that uh, we never get through all of the questions. I 
apologize. I also want you to know, a little disclaimer, that there is no expert in any field who can give individual specific advice in this particular format. That would be a disservice to the individual, right? Because they don't have eyes on the situation. So Dr. Grampiche then can't do that. But what she can do is if you write in and give us a bunch of information about you or a loved one, and it be as specific as possible, I will give her those questions, as many as we can fit in, and she will give you all kinds of information that you can take back to the experts who have eyes on the situation in the moment. Can I also, uh, there are a couple of things that I, a little housekeeping that I got to sure, do here please, at the start go right of the ahead. show. Because we haven't done a live show in a couple of days. I had my 20th wedding anniversary the other day, so I've oh taken a few days off. It's been great. First <laughs> of all, you. happy anniversary. Thank you. 20 years. <laughs> That's it's nothing amazing. To sneeze at, it's right? amazing. It's pretty impressive. We, you know, and there are all these statistics that I don't support or believe in <laughs> about people who are parents of individuals who have unique needs that, you know, they can't stay married. Ah, but that's uh, what I say to you. We, we, 20 <laughs> years we managed it. If we can do it, trust me, anybody can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's not true. It's hard. It's, it's hard, hard. It hard is work. hard. Hard work, and both people have to be up for it because if one of them isn't, forget it. Okay. But anyway, uh, we've been away for a couple of days. So I have to tell you that we have a friend that's a friend of the show and a friend of our family. Her name is Emily, um, and she is somebody who's, who is uh, uniquely abled. And she's having a really rough time right now. She's been in and out of the hospital for several months. Um, Her mom's had a rough time because she has a sister who also has unique needs. Mm -hmm. And mom is a single mom and has been having to uh, go back and forth to the hospital. And what we need right now are cards and letters for Emily to perk her up. She hasn't been able to eat and um, eating hurts really bad. Oh my gosh. And, And so we need her to be invested in eating. So if you have a moment today and would like to write to Emily, you can send the cards and letters here to us. You can email them to me. You can send them to our mailing address, um, or and we'll, we'll make sure to post that. Or you can go on my personal Facebook right now. They're also taking them at the Ed Asner Family Center. Um, if you want to donate gas cards to mom to help her to get back and forth too, we really appreciate it. But Emily has been a dear friend to a lot of us. She's one of the sweetest souls, and we really need to perk her up. Yeah. You know, get her excited, let her know that people haven't forgotten about her while she's been in and out of the hospital. So that. Yeah. Uh, also oh want to say that a dear friend who is a novelist in her own right, writes great books, um, as a favor to me, purchased my book because she was like, I want to support you. But she said, I know that there are other people besides me who could use this book. So she has said she would like to donate the book to someone. Um, so, And she will mail it to you. So the very first person who emails me, and I'll check my email later on, my email is shannon at autism-live.com. Um, Kelly is going to mail you a copy of my book as free. That's and awesome. It will you. That's so the so first nice. person watching live who emails me, Shannon at autism-live.com. Lovely. Thank you for putting up with me for a minute. Oh, no, not at all. I love those. Well, I mean, I'm sad for Emily, and I'll definitely write her a card. Thank you. I appreciate that. But that's that. so wonderful that your friend uh, yes. Kelly bought Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, that's okay. a great idea. So uh, in any case, we wanted to start with, and everybody's saying good morning. I'm saying hi to Ka. Uh, Brian, good morning, and uh, and other people who didn't send me their names. But uh, and if you want to write in and tell us where you're watching, we love to hear where you're watching from. So, uh, but we wanted to start today talking about this yep. very hot topic yep. Yep. in the autism community. Sometimes Thank people you. will say something or post something, mm-hmm. whether it's a parent or a professional, and then 
you know, people take exception. We have, um, I always say a wonderful group of people called self-advocates who are amazing because they have the ability to communicate mm -hmm. and, and communicate their needs and, and say what they want to say. And, except that sometimes <clears throat> they really don't want others to say their opinions or what they want to say. <laughs> That's true. Or they take exception to them. Now, my policy has always been on this show, come, bring whatever your thoughts are, whatever your mm -hmm. feelings are, but keep it respectful. It doesn't always stay that way. I want you to talk about what's yeah. been going on. And I, I really love that sentiment, Shannon, because we do all have different views and we're different people. We're yes. different people. We should have different views. Absolutely. And everybody has the right to have a different view, right? But unfortunately, one of the things that tends to happen, and I, don't, I, don't, I think it's a combination on social media, something that happens is that, first of all, you're hidden. Like yeah. you're not in someone's face, so you ha you're much more courageous to be rude, if, yeah. if that makes sense. So there, and the second thing is that you don't you that just has become like a common thing. It's like who can I bash next yeah. type thing. Someone actually wrote to me. So I, you know, as a lot of our viewers know, I uh, what I try to do. One of the ways that I try to help people is that I answer questions on all of the social media platforms. And um, it actually takes quite a bit of time because there's a lot of questions coming in, and I make videos about lots of different things, and I, I summarize, you know, new findings and all that sort of stuff. And I'm trying to help uh, the autism community as a whole by doing that. You're an amazing resource. Well, thank you. I appreciate yes. that. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that there are certain things that are, I, after 44 years of working in this field, um, I promote. One of those things is good applied behavior analysis, ABA. And there is a group of people who are just against ABA in general. And there are a few people who feel like they've had ABA in the past and they are uh, somehow have been tortured by ABA. And I don't deny them their experience. In fact, in one of my videos, I said, I did say that I completely see that there has been some sort of trauma or I see it that from their perspective there's been something bad going on. But that isn't my journey on social media and I do not want to get involved with those types of arguments about, uh, you know, is ABA this or is ABA that and talking about individual people's uh, issues with it. Yeah. From my perspective, good ABA is just a really good teaching technique. Yeah. And uh, you don't have to have ABA. Just like, you know, some people choose not to learn how to play a musical instrument. Some people choose not to learn how to wash their clothes, how to or cook. Or a third language. To, or, or a third language. Yeah. And in this case, it's fine if you, as the individual or your parents, when you were younger, decide, no, I want this, I want to be uh, autistic, and I want to live with those characteristics, period. That's totally fine. But it goes back to two things. One is there are a lot of people who do struggle with a diagnosis of autism, whether they're extremely high-functioning adults who've also come to me for help, and can't feel like they can't fit into a social environment, et cetera, and, and have questions about how to find friends, how to have partnerships, how to find a job, et cetera. 
and or if you're the parent of a child, let's say, who is severely autistic. And I think a lot of the individuals right now on social media don't really understand what it's like to, you know, the, the severe side of autism. And, and in fact, maybe I should do a video about the fact that there's a lot of parents who say we want to separate severe autism yeah. because like all this stuff about we don't need help. Let me tell you, someone who has severe autism does need help. Yes. They do, do need treatment. And so that, you know, I don't want the folks who are against intervention for autism to influence the folks who are desperate for help. So that's one side of it. And the other side of it, Shannon, as you said, is just respect. Yeah. It's just a matter of being respectful. And if I am talking to an individual who has autism, if they're disrespectful, I will tell them. Yes. I won't be harsh, but I will tell them. And I will call them out. And I will say it's not appropriate for you to put 60 videos that are kind of rude and inappropriate on my site, I will block you because you're taking this, my mission on a, you're derailing my mission. Let's yeah. put it that way. Uh, my mission right now for spending time on social media is to be able to help people, not to get into a fight with someone who has a very uh, a significant difficulty seeing someone else's perspective. Yeah. So that's kind of what's been going on. If any of our viewers are on TikTok, or I would really welcome your support on yeah. there because I'm trying to kind of uh, keep the whole thing on the right path. I'm in the middle, actually. I was in the middle of doing a bunch of videos on anxiety and depression and how we, what we experience as, fa as parents. Yes. And this whole thing has kind of derailed it a little bit. So I'm trying to take it back there and, and answer questions that yeah. are important to, to people who are waiting. But I so appreciate you saying this. And I, because I know you and I know that it comes from a place of ultimate respect. Absolutely. And a lot of times, you know, okay, here's a perfect example that a dear friend of ours, uh, who is a self-advocate on the spectrum, was writing in um, on, somebody had posted something about a death. Mm -hmm. in the family and he was writing in and asking very pointed specific questions on social media mm -hmm. about well you know what was the death like and all these things because he was curious right. it wasn't there was anything right. but it wasn't appropriate right and so I wrote in and said um, publicly in front of everybody said perhaps you should ask these questions privately, privately. And, and then three moms wrote to me and said, are you aware of the fact that he's on the spectrum? Yeah, yeah. And I wrote back and I said, yes, but he has asked me if, right. I, if he's doing something in public that is not appropriate, would I please tell him? Right. Now, I could have done it privately. I absolutely could have. That would have been a choice. Um, but he had said to me, no, no, please tell Just me. Just tell me, call me out. Because I think there are a lot of people who are on the spectrum who are like, I don't know what the rules are. Right. And right. I would like it if you just tell me if I've stepped over a rule. I'm not on the spectrum. I would like that. Yeah. If I stepped over the rule and it, what, and it, I would like for somebody to tell me, you know, there's a rule here that you don't do this. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then I go, oh, I did not know. Yeah. We don't have to be defensive about it. But I think that there are a lot of us myself included, that sometimes get into, you know, I can remember when I was younger, that, and, and when Jem was younger, that it was like, oh, is this who he is, or is this the autism? I don't want to penalize him or make him feel bad because he's done something that has to do with autism. 
But sometimes we carry it too far, you guys. Yeah. And we excuse yeah. behavior and we don't call it out and go, that doesn't work here. Yeah. Yeah. That's not appropriate. Um, because we're like, well, you know, it's the autism. But as you say all the time, that's not part of the diagnosis. That's exactly my point, Sharon. In fact, I've talked to lots and lots of parents when they are, uh, you know, when, when they have young children and they're working with their children, and I tell them, if you want your child to fit into society, you need to uh, curtail their behavior so that they fit into society. Do not allow them to do behaviors or exhibit behaviors or things that are going to isolate them from society and treat them no normally. Don't walk around them on eggshell. You know, don't right. be so cautious that, and that's the thing. It's like I actually uh, called out one person and, and all I did on, on this uh, platform was to explain to them that blaming me for their prior experiences is what's called a cognitive distortion. It is what our mind does because we often need someone to blame. And I understand that I represent the field of ABA and that it gives this person some sense of relief to blame me. But it's not adaptive. It's not fun. It doesn't do anything. You're not going to get gonna, anything out of it. You're going to get some immediate relief, and that's about it. Yeah. And you, in the meantime, you're derailing uh, you know, this whole platform, which has to do with helping people, right? Yeah. So I'm going to call you out, and I'm going to say, please don't blame me. Yeah. Move on. Like, right. We understand that you have issues, but it has nothing to do with me. And so, and then people, like, and then there's even a doctor on there who has come on and said, I can't believe you called her out. And of course <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call. Because nobody does. And that is, by the way, the only way this is going to work. Because yeah. in the future, going through life, if we just excuse people's yeah. behavior, all we're doing, and this is the truth, Shannon, all we're doing is we're saying, I'm going to excuse you, but I'm not going to include you. That's right. And I don't want that. I want there to be a place for every individual who has autism in our society. Right. And for that to happen, everybody has to be polite, period. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I want to reiterate, because I know you, and when you say about fitting into, into social society rules, she's not talking about changing who you are, you guys. You're talking about, for instance, we don't take our pants down in public. Yes, or just we, being we polite. Rules. And rules. whether or not you have a diagnosis of autism or anything else, right. let's say you have a diagnosis of, of borderline personality or of anxiety disorder or depression or whatever it is, yeah. it still would be inappropriate to attack someone publicly. That's yes. just not okay. So being polite is just one of those things. That, that's why I loved how you started this. It's just, you can say whatever you want, yep. but be respectful. And that's and we welcome that always on our show. It's the reason why, I, if you watch um, Stories from the Spectrum, it's, it's why we are the executive producers of that. She and I, because we believe in the power of making sure that everybody gets a voice. Absolutely. I, I get emotional because I think about my dear friend Joanne who said everybody deserves yeah. a seat at the table. That was always the thing that she Definitely. said. And if you can't be heard over everyone else, you don't get the seat at the table. And that's why Stories from the Spectrum is not our voices. It is not. It is only the voices of people who are on the spectrum. That's right. That's it. 
Um, but, you know, it has to be respectful. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. we would defend any person on the spectrum who somebody was bully, being bullied and saying, you don't get to have your opinion. You don't get to say, we would be the first two people to stand up and say, no, we stand with you on that. That's right. So there we go. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for letting me rant now. For no, no, no. <laughs> it's all good. Everybody wrote in prayers for Emily. I love that. Brian said, one question. It's been a rough ride of making the decision of choosing the best kindergarten school possible mm -hmm. for my almost five-year-old son um, in Sacramento. We had to weigh an ambitious high-end academic school for a 2E school. He's, he is super smart, uh, yet compromised heavily with low social skills. Mm -hmm. That's what well, you know. What I read out of that is that you had some great yeah, choices. You did, yeah, you is, did. You know, which is kind of amazing when you think about it, because there aren't always great choices. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what a two E school Those is. Are I'll twice be honest. exceptional. Oh, twice exceptional school. Okay. Yes. So I guess, and this is a great question, Brian. And a lot of people talk to me about school placement, and I think it is um, really, really an individualized thing and and you're lucky that you have these options that's beautiful but i think you and you know as parents you should sit down and ask yourself what are we hoping for and and i'll caution you because as parents of children with autism sometimes we want to promote their special skill so much because it actually makes us feel good Like we want to say, oh, you know, my child is brilliant in math and I really want to highlight that. And that's totally fine. And I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes individuals on the spectrum who are, uh, you know, brilliant at one subject or another, are, as we can see even right now, are changing our world. So, you know, that's one path to go, definitely, and absolutely a, a wonderful path. Another path is to say, no, I want my child to be well-rounded in a lot of different areas. And then you choose a different type of setting, which is not, you know, 100% or 90% focused on that, on building the athlete, let's say, mm -hmm. but rather showing the individual more social skills, other types of skills, and so on. You, as the parent, can make that decision and put your child in that program. Whatever program you decide, I think what is really important is to look and make sure that your child is happy when they're in there. That's all that matters, is that they are happy. And it, sometimes a child will be really happy. Uh, you know, I've had children uh, who are uh, very, 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 very smart. I just thought of one who I loved, who's an adult. Um, but also, like, uh, what he really always wanted was friends. And so for him, it was really important that we could teach him some of the social rules and so that he could fit into society and so on. In the end, he ended up being a brilliant biostatistician anyway, but right. he had a lot of skills that he developed socially, right? On the other hand, I also have had kids that I've worked with who are now adults who are not very social and really are pretty narrow in their scope, but they're brilliant. They're, you know, athlete level in, in let's say, robotics or some other thing. So none of, it doesn't matter. They're both good choices. But what's really important is that the child was happy along the way, right? And that's 
probably the most important thing. So whatever class you choose, just go back and see, is my child thriving? Are they happy? And that's all you need to do. And I have to say, Shannon, like I look at my three kids and you know how different they are from each other. And so they went different paths. But that was the one thing I always looked at was like, are they happy? And, and it's, that's what's important. That's what we all want for our kids. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times we think, you know, there's an IEP meeting and we make the plan for the year and we think it's written in stone, carved in stone. But I love this idea of making sure that they're happy because here's the thing I wish somebody had told me. If it's not going well, they're not going to be change. happy. Yeah. You can change. <laughs> yeah. You can change teachers. You can change schools. You can move. Yep. I mean, it's all like overwhelming to think about it, right. but it's all on the table. Absolutely. And I've seen parents do it where their child is just like, you know, it's just, it just seems like so much skirt scorched earth with this school district, and they go, I'm going to move. I'm done. I'm yep. going to move, and I'm going to move to another school district. And I've never heard anybody be sorry about that. That's right. The, the one year that we were so ticked with one school, so we moved to another school. And the first, the day before school, we had a meeting with the teacher. I hope she sees this because I just pop to really uh, to this teacher. So much so that I included a character that makes fun of her in my, in my uh, one-woman show. Oh, but in yeah. any case, oh, good, yeah. good luck so picking. You won't know. Anyway, the day before the first day of school, we had a meeting. Yeah. And all the warning bells went off. And I was like, this, this woman is not going to be good. And, <sighs> and I was talking to a friend, and she was like, you should go in in the morning and t- tell them that you want the other teacher. And I was like, no, I'm going to give her a chance. And I did. And we were back in every single week. We had administrators involved. And at the end of the year, I thought, I should have listened to my gut. Yeah. I should have listened to my yeah. gut the first day. Yeah. Or I should have done it, but each time I was like, well, we're almost to the holiday break. Let's, you know, they're going to make this adjustment with her. They're going to, no. If you see that it's not working, don't be afraid to go, nope, it's not working. Yeah. And, yeah. and try something else. Yeah. It's okay to do that. The other thing, can I say, can I jump on here with one other thought? So it's, I love that he's so brilliant, but if he's behind in social skills, what an opportunity at home to do, and if he's school-aged, we were told, you know, you guys said to us, pick the bossiest girl in the class. Oh, yeah. Start with the bossy gut girl yeah. who doesn't get invited to other play dates and invite her to play dates at your house. Keep them short. If you can have a therapist there to facilitate. Yep. But make it, because our kids, sometimes they don't know how to have fun with other kids. So everything that they love, like, if they love balloons, you fill the room with balloons. Yeah. If they love, you know, here In-N-Out Burger is a big treat. Mm-hmm. So what we would always get was In-N-Out for them and the play date. So the play date, the person wanted to it's come back. the best back. thing. Absolutely. That's we became great. the house exactly. that they wanted to come to. That's right. And eventually we stopped with the bossy gut girl and had two boys. Yeah. And then eventually it was three boys that would come every Friday to mm-hmm. our house, and I would make all kinds of popcorn and everything. They could trash the living room. There you go. Games. There you go. But that's where he really got his social that's skills. That's exactly right. That's exa- And I see that Brian has actually asked us more specifically, what do we think about Montessori? Oh, there we go. And honestly, I, I, my kids went through Montessori. I love Montessori programs. I'm not sure it's for everyone, but the reason I love Montessori is because they really uh, hands-on practically have the child kind of learn concepts, abstract concepts that we don't usually learn in, in other schools. So uh, to me, a Montessori program is really, really good for kids on the spectrum 
Um, again, as Shannon said, honestly, it makes uh, the individual, the teacher, I, if they're following Montessori or they're not, that's the person who can make a difference. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's about the person. Yeah. I was at a conference recently, and a, and a parent came up to me after I was on this panel, and she said, what do you do? Because I was saying, you know, you got to listen to them. you got to listen to what your kids yes. say. And she said, but what do you do when what he doesn't want to do is go to school? Yeah. And I said, well, what's happening at school? And she said, it's this amazing environment where it's outdoors, and they get to look at bugs, and it's this whole thing. And I said, oh, does he like bugs? No, he likes robotics. <laughs> And I was like, so you would like the outdoor bug school. I would rather die yeah. than go to the outdoor okay, yeah. bug school. No, I, I don't outdoors and look at bugs in jars. No, thank you. Exactly. And that's how this little and I was like, why are you sending him to the school that you want to go that's, to? We, you go. Yeah, that's right. You go to that school then. <laughs> Let him go to a robotics program. Yeah. Like why? And and how you know amazing that she had found in this outdoor bug school, but that's not her kid. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. know, I see Brian. You're saying you don't want him to withdraw. You're afraid that a Montessori school will not challenge him, and the autism traits will become dominant. I mean, anything could happen anywhere. It really comes down. You know, some of it is the philosophy, but some of it is the individual teacher. That, that's exactly what I was saying. It's yeah. all about the the teacher, honestly. For yeah. me, a good teacher is just someone. Your child will never forget. Yeah. They'll make a big impact, whatever the philosophy of the school is. But some kids thrive. Some kids on the spectrum thrive in Montessori. Montessori. And others, I agree. Psh, no. Yeah. Uh, not happening. Uh, I love that uh, Ka wrote in, no, it was Parker who wrote in, said that I was absolutely right about artificial colors and sweeteners because, and I shouldn't laugh because this is terrible, the three-year-olds at my oh church my had, had red Kool-Aid and then they were hyper. Because I always say to parents, you, like... You don't believe me? Just do a, do a scientific experiment. Go to a birthday party <laughs> where they have red Kool-Aid and they have like one of those it's cakes so funny, that has yeah. all the frosting yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And s- watch the kids drink it and set your watch. Do you know what? It, red Kool-Aid is like the most extreme horrible thing. I know. And we're, I hate we're to laughing say it's because cool. it's horrible. I'm sorry. It's absolutely horrible. It is. It's the red color, uh, you know, food coloring and the sugar together. Oh Just outrageous. And yeah. do you know they don't allow that in other countries? The, really? the red dye that we have here in the United States, they don't allow it in other countries because it makes people go look to <sighs> it. So, and and it's not all kids, but enough of the party, you will see it. You can just set your clock oh, yeah. and you watch them have meltdowns. Now, when I think of our kids on the spectrum who already have enough that they're battling. Oh, yeah. And it's like, and they can't put the red detoxify on top from on. this. Oh, yeah. no, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm so thank you. you, Parker, for doing independent scientific research uh, to support my uh, feeling about it. Ka wrote in and said uh, that, yes, sometimes it's the delivery, not the message in terms of when self-advocates are, are sending messages. Yep. Um, okay, I want to get to some other questions that we had that came in earlier. Um, Ka says, good morning, ladies. I want to uh, find a support group through my, uh, through my son. I went to a support group through my son's speech provider and told everyone to come and watch. I've learned so much from you as well as parents watching and commenting. Thank you so much, Ka. But she was it she who also said, sometimes I feel very judged mm-hmm. by other parents and that I'm made to feel as though I'm not doing the right thing for my son. I think sometimes people forget that it's all individualized. Yeah. Amen. Thank and you hugs for that. to you, Ka. Um, 
And can I say, can I admit that sometimes I'm guilty of this too? Because I don't always know where the line is. Mm-hmm. I always tell the story that there was a mom that was in Jem's kindergarten class and her daughter was in his class, not on the spectrum, but she had a younger son. Mm-hmm. Two years later, and she, but you know, we talked about autism. We came in and did things with autism in the classroom. Two years later, she comes up to me in the grocery store and she runs up to me and she says, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I ran into you. I don't have your phone number. And my son has been diagnosed with autism. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to overwhelm her. So I said, you really want to consider doing a 40-hour program, a good quality ABA. Um, you really want to consider, you know, and I went, and I, I said, you really, I, and I said all the things, but I said, you really want to consider. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, right? And because I thought, I don't want to overwhelm her. I don't yes. want to tell her you have to do yes, this. Yes. I don't want to say anything is like, you know, hard and fast, black and white, boom, because um, I don't want to overwhelm her. And I walked away and I was like, look at me. I, I helped her. Yeah. I felt so good about myself until about a year and a half later, same grocery store, I see her across the organic <sighs> vegetables. Yeah. And I'm like, hi. And she comes up to me with a pointed finger in my face and she goes, don't you ever talk to me again. And I said, what did I do? And she said, I came up to you asking for help and you knew. That if I didn't do X, Y, and Z, my kid wasn't going to get what he needed. What you needed to tell me was that I needed to act like my house was on fire and that I needed to advocate for my kid like today was the only day. And that I need to set up services for him and that I needed to act like it was the single most important thing I had going on in my life. And you knew that. Mm -hmm. And she said, but you said to me, maybe you should consider it. So, you know, now I usually say to people, forgive me. You've made the mistake of asking me. I'm going to tell you a bunch of th- things. I'm going to hope that it doesn't overwhelm you. This is why I wrote the book. Yeah. So you can take a piece of yeah. it, right? But I'm going to tell you, a bu- I'm going to tell you the, my truth, what I think, because you made the mistake of asking me. Yeah. And I'm going to be point blank about what I think you should do and how hard I think you should work for the next few years because it's all about now. Yeah. And you don't want to wait. I've seen too many parents wait, and I and I said, and I always tell them that story, and I say, I'm never gonna have somebody come up and say to me, "You should have told me again in my life." Yeah, I can't do that. I, I can't know. do that. So I think that sometimes people think that I'm judging them. My thing is, I'm gonna tell you, and then you decide what you want to do. Yeah. You're the parent. Yeah, you decide. But I, there, I I think that sometimes people think that I'm very black and white. Well, I mean, I you know, Shannon, for us. If you've been around as long as I've been around, you have seen cultural changes in this entire thing, right? And there was a period of time where, uh, you know, first of all, there was a period of time where ABA didn't even exist, right? right? So I lived through that, my friends, you know. There was a period of time where the prominent, prevalent belief was that this has to do with bad mothering, Oh, yeah. This has to do with the refrigerator mother, and, and the mother is being cold, and therefore the child is isolated. I have lived through periods of time where people thought swimming with dolphins, doing blood transfusions, I mean, you know, everything. Yeah. And, and then you get to a point where you see, oh, do you know what? This is a teaching technique, and if we modify this teaching technique a little bit, it applies to very young kids with autism. And, oh, my God, when they couldn't learn before, all of a sudden we're teaching them everything they need to learn. And, hey, let's spend, you know, years 
modifying every single skill and listing it and writing it and modifying the therapy techniques. And let's just build a whole thing around this so that every child can benefit. And then I personally got to a point in my career where I could help every child that came because I had, you know, 250 clinics around the country and I could talk to people in other countries and we had affiliate sites and I had 6,000 therapists and everybody was helping and everybody was doing this and we got funding for so many families and people were benefiting and then I brought in all my physician friends and we were yeah. helping there too and again it was beautiful yeah and now it is starting unfortunately to change again and that just scares me and the reason me. it's changing right now is two things one is the whole self-advocacy thing that we're talking about where yeah, it's very confusing for new parents when they hear individuals on the spectrum saying, I was abused, I was tortured, those words, right? Yeah. And I don't care how bad an ABA program is, I don't think it's torture or abuse. I don't know, maybe, yes, of course, there are some organizations we know that do actually I've do abusive things. Right. It's nothing like what you do. Nothing I've like never even, I can't even does, imagine. I can't even imagine. So let's assume that that exists too. But that aside, yeah. what do you want to do? What's the solution now? Yeah. So that's kind of one side of it. And the other side of it is, of course, as you know, Shannon, there's like this, you know, the field is falling apart. Yes. The field is falling apart because... Uh, there are not enough clinicians. There, I think, in my opinion, clinicians are not being listened to, heard. And so, you know, a lot of the funding that comes into this field instead of going to the clinicians is going to other places. And I won't start that whole dialogue, but I am very concerned for the field of autism because I feel like, you know, five years from now, it's not going to be where it was. No. It's just not going to be available. And it, that just makes me sad. Because so there, it's not like the diagnostic uh, criteria are changing or that yeah. the prevalence is going down. It just keeps going up. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I'm still very, very passionate about it. And I thank you for what you said because it actually empowers me to go back and continue to do what I do, which is yes. to tell people what I personally think they should do. And if someone disagrees, that's totally fine. Yeah. As long as they do it respectfully. Absolutely. I mean, there's different things for different people, right? But yeah. I, I'm also afraid right now because when, when my child was diagnosed with autism, what I knew about autism wouldn't have filled a thimble, right? And I had to and like, you've learned hit the just ground so much. Oh my gosh. I had hit the ground running like yeah. every other parent and yep. look for, and I wanted somebody to just like sit down and give me the scoop. Like, what do I have to do? Where do I have to go? Which line do I have to stand in? Who do I have to yell at? Who do I have to beg? Where do I need to lock myself to the front of the building totally. and threaten to stay there on a hunger strike? That's hard for me, but you know what I mean. Um, but you know, I yeah. would if I had to. Uh, give up my food? I don't know. But yes, yes. Um, you know what I mean? And I know a lot of parents can relate to that about, like, just tell me, like, what I, what I need to do. Yep. There are other parents who are too overwhelmed that even if you said to them, Here's what you need to go do. It may not be possible. Yeah. They may not have access. Yeah. They, you know, I, you know, friends well, of mine who have their husband is dying of absolutely. cancer you while can't. this is happening. It's not, and, and I don't judge. If or you, access. Like they don't oh, have a you, team of you therapists. You can't even get a diagnosis. Yeah. Right. It's hard. This is hard. I, I think we have to be compassionate towards all people, not judge whose circumstances. I always say let's, let's try to level the playing field. 
My group of parents, we thought we were doing the right thing by advocating for insurance because you understand when my mm -hmm. son was diagnosed, there, was there, no. wasn't, there wasn't insurance funding. So I happened to live in the great state of California. Don't talk to me about California because California paid for all of my son's therapy. Yeah. And they would send me not a bill, but a reminder every year, this is how much money we paid for your son's therapy this year. Can I tell you? The first time it arrived, and it was $180,000 for the previous year, I had chest pains and had to like lay down on the sofa because yeah. I thought they're going to ask for yeah. it back or that they're going to suddenly start charging us for it because I saw what that year had done for him. Yeah. That year changed everything. Yep. Yep. But before that year, they told us that we should <sighs> let go of hope and, and that he was going to be in a special education classroom and that we were going to be lucky if he spoke. Yep. That's what we were told. At the end of that year, they offered him full inclusion in uh, a preschool class where, you know, he thrived. Mm -hmm. And now he's on the dean's list at college with no accommodations. That's what that year set up. That's right. That $180,000. So I lived in the great state of California. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't have to fight for it. I didn't have to. I mean, of course. I, I, I mean, oh my I God. I cheated. I did. Well, I did, and all I, the fights you, know. you had even before that, right? I mean, like oh. schools and, the school and so on. Oh was, my gosh. Was suing us because they were afraid other people were <sighs> going to listen to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those things. But but my group of people, not me, because I wasn't. I was like, I don't think the insurance thing is going to happen in our time, and I was really focused on our time. But there were other, better, smarter people who fought for the insurance because they believed that if they could get it funded, that a bunch of people would take advantage of it. Yeah. And that is not what has happened. Um, and, and now, you know, when I, I have stopped being in the position where a parent says to me, well, they offered us 15 hours for our three-year-old, so we're going to take the 15 hours. There was a period of time where I spent all of my time arguing with those parents and saying, you know, look at this. You can get 40. Mm -hmm. They will give you 40, but you're taking 15. And why, by the way, there's research that shows that 15 is not going to get your child where they need to be. No. And that, that's, we've even given up on that, Shannon. It's I, like, it's not even, you know, nowadays you get 20 hours funded for a child and the service provider can't even provide the 20 hours. They would like for you to sweep your hair away from your mic. It's muffling your mic a little bit. Okay. There we go. There Thank we you go. for writing that in on Facebook. Um, there we go. Yes. <laughs> yes. The research about 20 hours. Um, that, that it's, yeah. And so like, there's just so many issues and I just, am really just concerned because this is a very, very valuable therapy oh. and when, and if it goes away, we're going to be in a very bad place. I was there, you guys, I saw severe children in Camarillo state hospital, which was an institution that had autism wards with the little children biting off their own fingers. That's what severe autism is. Yeah. And there was no ABA. We hadn't developed any of this yet. We were just beginning to develop these techniques and understand how to apply them to children who were being self-injurious. Yeah. And now for, for people to come and say, oh, you know, it's torture and it's this and that and and also for, you know, business people to take advantage of the of the system that's in place to help families. Yeah. It scares me. It scares me, too. And can I just say this? Because I always like to think of ABA as, as, we, as you said, it's a teaching technique. But since I'm a former teacher, I think of it as a box of tools. Yeah. 
It's yeah. a box of tools, and it's like, oh, well, just like when you're going to paint. You can have a box of paintbrushes and a box of paints, and everybody is going to paint the same picture, and it's going to look vastly different, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you have somebody who's uniquely talented with this brush, they're going to do this, that, and the other thing. So when, you know, but you could take the paintbrushes and you could paint something wrong, mm-hmm. or you could hurt someone with a paintbrush. If you, if you really put your mind to it, you really could. Yes. So so we need to be mindful. The thing that I get upset about is when people just say, well, ABA is bad. And I have said I said this last week on the show. Then that's saying that teaching is bad. Yeah, exactly. That's bad. exactly right. What you could say is this ABA provider traumatized me. Right. Or this person, this behavior technician traumatized me. Right. Or this technique that was used traumatized me. So, and that's a great comparison. So how many of our viewers, how many of you have ever had a teacher who was just terrible? Right. Terrible. I've had a terrible teacher, unfair, Uh, you know, angry all the time. Just oh, and like that teacher that Jem had that I was talking about before. There you go. Oh, I'd like there to be in go. a dark alley with her. So what do you do? <sighs> do you stop going to school? Yeah. No. You know what I mean? That's my point. Yeah. It's like, yes, you could have had a bad experience, but don't take the privilege of ABA away from everyone else. Exactly. Exactly. And if you have it, if you are lucky enough to have it, fight for it to be the best quality ABA and fight to get as many hours as possible. As, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, somebody wrote in and said, my three-year-old is having bouts of the sillies. I love mm. that expression. He will just sit and laugh or spin and laugh until he falls down. At first, we thought it was cute, but now I'm concerned. Is he just a different? Is this just a different version of happiness, and should we be worried? Okay, so first of all, I never want you to be worried, but that being worried doesn't necessarily help in any way. So let's just analyze the situation and figure out if anything has to change in order to take care of this problem. So, you know, sometimes, and and you have to observe this over a period of time and do some experimentation here, which I know it's, it's an unusual way to proceed, but unfortunately that's what it is with autism. It is a puzzle we often don't know what behaviors are. We can only make assumptions based on things we've seen. And one of the things, when you see a child who's just giggling and being a little silly, I would want to rule out, I would want to rule out the possibility of this being yeast or yeast die-off. That is, uh, so many parents would come to me, Shannon, and say, like, I, you know, my child just, he looks like he's drunk. <laughs> Like, he's running around and just Jem, like... Jem was the drunk elf. There you go. Yeah. And you, when they're two years old or three years old and they're little and cute and, you know, you don't, you think, oh, it's just a cute little thing they're doing. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is the child is intoxicated with high levels of toxins in their body and you can do something about that yeah. and change it. And by the way, when they are drunk like that, they're not really learning from from their environment. So what I suggest you do is actually go see a nutritionist um, and or a doctor who has been trained in, uh, you know, uh, functional medicine. This is called functional medicine. And they will do some tests. They'll do a urine test and they will identify if your child has high levels of yeast and this could have come about from a variety of things. Most, most of our food, unfortunately, in this country will promote this. But 
that's what you need to find out. And if you do find out that, oh, yeah, your child does have actually candida, then it becomes very important to treat it, which will involve a diet as well as possibly uh, medications that are antifungal medications. And you might even actually, actually start after you, see, you start the diets and the antifungals, you might still see some of this behavior, which is called the die-off phase, which is uh, this is the point where you're actually killing the yeast, but your child will be silly and giggly and so on and so forth until they're not. Yeah. And once they're not, it's a whole different thing. And it's like, whoa, your child has woken up now and is just completely aware, whereas before they weren't really. So that's kind of, the only thing that I can think of is that, um, that you want to just rule out. And if you rule that out and know your child's not having high levels of yeast, then I would soon be fine. And again, one of the things that I always tell parents, Shannon, is, you know, with typically developing kids, if they're giggly and so on, you can interrupt it with something yeah. else and they don't melt down. Right. If you can't interrupt your child and if they melt down when you try to interrupt their giggliness, there's something going on there. There we go. We had to do a yeast, um, and there are several yeast protocols out there. They're all sort of different because every person is different. We did a yeast, yeast protocol. And, and, you know, you get used to your child, especially if you only have oh, yeah. the one child and it's you get true. used to whatever. You forget. And, yeah. yeah. And my child, we referred to him as busy pants um, because he was constantly in motion. He never sat still for anything. You couldn't get him to sit in a chair to do anything. Uh, you, you know, we would have to strap him into the car seat or strap him Amazing. into the high chair because he was busy, 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 busy pants. And we called him the drunk elf where he would run into walls yeah. and he would turn around and laugh and then fall down. Yeah. And yeah. if you smelled his head, his head smelled like a fresh load, load, um, loaf of bread or his feet smelled like that. And his breath smelled like brandy. Yeah, like he'd been drinking, you know, and, right. And so then we, we started a yeast protocol and it, and, and it got worse and nobody had told me about die off. And, he, and I went, this isn't working. And I almost stopped because I went this. Yeah. And then uh, and it was uh, uh, a midwife who mm-hmm. said, I said, we're doing this yeast thing and he's worse. And she said, oh, no, no. Did not, did not explain die off to you? Yeah. And she said, no, no, don't don't stop. You means you're yeah. not the right you're thing. You're on the right path. And then I remember the day. It was like 45 days in. That's how long it took you guys. And 45 days in, I remember waking up and the house was quiet. And I couldn't, because he even moved in his sleep. He moved his feet in his sleep. And the house was completely quiet. And I was panicked because I thought he, we had so many locks on the door because he was also a flight risk. And, and I thought he'd gotten out of the house. That's how quiet the house was. I went out and he was sitting at the coffee table and he was putting together Duplos. He, and we'd had the Duplos, he'd never done it before. And he was sitting there and he was putting them together. And when I walked up and I said, hey, bud, what are you doing? And he looked right up at me and I went, Oh What's God. going on? Like it felt eerie because my child hadn't made eye contact yeah. like that. Yeah. And he and he was still, he was sitting and playing with a toy. Yeah. And I'd never seen that before. I love that. Amazing. Like life-changing, right? That's so interesting. Okay. Somebody wants to know, adult diagnosis seems like the hardest thing to get. And when you get it, it feels like people question it. Mm. Who can give a definitive qualified diagnosis and how much should it relatively cost? realistically. Okay. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, it is harder when it's an adult, uh, because typically adults who are going to seek out a diagnosis are going to be very high functioning. 
right? Because if they're not very high functioning, this would have been identified at an earlier stage. Yeah. So when you are high functioning, the diagnostic criteria are, are sort of, I don't want to say subjective, but ultimately a diagnostician has to decide, is this symptom present or not, right? So for example, I was just uh, doing a video on, on the diagnostic uh, criteria, and let's say just the very first one, you know, the whole area of social communication. There has to be a series of symptoms present in the area of social communication. Now, uh, about a year ago or so, I was diagnosing an adult who, interestingly, it was kind of an interesting uh, um, experience for me because they wanted to receive the diagnosis yeah. of autism. And so they were tr kind of almost by textbook telling me all the things that should be in the diagnosis. Right. And meanwhile... I was observing that this individual did not at all in any way exhibit sort of the, the difficulties that you experience with autism, even if it's very, very high functioning. And, you know, the biggest thing that you observe with an individual with autism is they have a difficult time interacting because they don't know all the kind of unwritten rules of social interaction. So, for instance, they won't wait. They will jump into your conversation. They might not look at you when interacting or they might be too close. Uh, they will talk about things that are run on and not pertinent to the question you just asked. They will... There's all this other stuff that's, that's subtle stuff that actually indicates a, a difference in social communication. And, but it wasn't what this person was trying to do, was just trying to get the diagnosis. And actually, what this, I ended up diagnosing them was social anxiety. Because there's a lot of people that experience anxiety and they think that it is like autism. Yeah. And it's not. So the symptoms of autism, if you have an experienced diagnostician, they can sit with you. It'll be about a two-hour back-and-forth conversation where they will ask you a bunch of questions and I mean, this is what I do. And then I would uh, either at the end of the two hours be able to give you a diagnosis or rule out the diagnosis. Or if I'm unsure, I would give you a series of questionnaires to fill out because you're high functioning and you would be able to fill out these questionnaires. And then with the help of those questionnaires within an hour later, I'd be able to tell you one way or another, yes or no. And I would be able to tell you your severity level in each of the, the diagnostic areas. Now, that's an important thing that people tend to miss. Uh, in the social communication area, you can have a severity of one to three. And in the stereotypical repetitive area, you can have a severity of one to three. And that's also very important for the individual to know. So um, that's about the time frame that a diagnostician, I, and I do not recommend that you try to get it from your family doctor or from a psychiatrist or a psychologist who has not worked with autism before. It is very difficult for someone who is not familiar with autism to uh, be the diagnostician. So I really recommend if you are an adult and you think there is something going on, Go seek out someone who has a lot of experience in the field of autism and get your diagnosis from them. What does it cost? Again, it depends on whether or not they have to do testing. 
Uh, I would say, generally speaking, a diagnostician will charge you somewhere around a thousand to maybe fifteen hundred or so. But remember, these are licensed individuals that your insurance company should cover. So all you have to do is get in touch with your insurance provider and say, I feel like I need to go see a specialist or go see your family doctor and tell them what the issue is and they will refer you to a specialist and all of that cost of the diagnosis is covered. Just don't let them poo-poo you. Yeah. I think that that's because a lot there's a lot of that. Um, but, but just I, like with everything else there is, you know, like yeah. you, you want to go get, I've been to like 20 doctors for my lower back pain and I still don't have a solution. Right, right. But can I also, can we talk about the levels of severity for a sure. second too? Because I think sure. there's a lot of misunderstanding about this. That, so there's one, two, and three, but all of them, even a one means you need support. Yes, Yes, and, and I think and, this is the. I know you're, you. You. I want you to talk a little bit about the one, two, three. But I want parents to realize that sometimes your child gets diagnosed, and there. You always remind us that there's two numbers, but a lot of times pe- people only walk away with one number. And a lot of times people will tell me I have. You know, a, my child has ASD level two, and it's not helpful because the two domains are so different. So, like, first of all, one, two, and three. One is uh, you need support in that particular domain. Two is you need, I think, significant support in that domain. Three is you need substantially significant support. So it's just, that's all it is, right? But the problem right now, as I see it, is that a lot of kids are being diagnosed and the the diagnostician says to them, when they say, okay, well, you know, what are you going to give me? My child qualified, but they're a Mm one-one. And then the school and the the doctor and the insurance say, oh, your child is very high functioning. They don't need anything. And I'm like, the very thing says, if they're a one, that means needs support. But on the other side of it too, I think for some of the adults, they walk away and say, I didn't get a diagnosis. I feel like I'm on the spectrum. I have some of these traits, but I didn't get a diagnosis. And I always say to them, are you, are you working a job? Are you in a relationship? Do you, like, maybe you have areas in your life that you struggle with, but have you found a way to make them, make them function? Because in order to qualify for that disorder, yeah, you, need you, to. you have to need support. Right. And That's not right. everybody does. That's right. And you have to have these specific symptoms. Like, so for instance, anxiety disorder, right? Like, so there's a whole bunch of symptoms associated with anxiety disorder, and, and many of us suffer from some of them. Yeah. Many of us. I mean, I wake up sometimes, I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning with anxiety, right? <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, because I had a rough day yesterday. Yeah. So that's a very common thing, but that does not qualify me to get a diagnosis of anxiety disorder, generalized right. anxiety. It just doesn't, because I do not meet all the criteria. And secondly, because as Shannon said... It is not disturbing my life, right? right? So those are the things that are very necessary. People forget that. It's a really interesting, Shannon. You know, when when you look at the diagnostic manual, it very specifically says, A, you have to meet the following criteria in the social communication disorders area, area, right, for autism, and there's a bunch. B, you have to meet the following criteria in the repetitive self-stimulatory stereotypical behaviors. That's, those are the two domains. Right. C, 
these symptoms must have occurred before a certain age for right. you to experience it. And D, it cannot be due to other things. Right. And then overall, they need to be debilitating enough, right? right. So these are people skip all that other stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. But it is very important, and you're absolutely right. In fact, I think DSM-5 was very specifically written this way so that people would get support, yeah. even if they are a 1-1. Yeah. And we used to have this problem when people were diagnosed with PDD-NOS, exactly. which is the old way, which was pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified, which meant essentially high-functioning autism, right? And people wouldn't get the funding they needed just because of that. Right. So, yes, so that's kind of how it is. And I do recommend if you feel you have issues, it is important. It's really important that you try to seek out someone who can help you with the diagnosis. I'm happy to, by the way. People have written in to me and said, do you still do that? I do. It's hard for me to fit it in, but I do. And I, I see people on Zoom, telehealth. Yeah, but we just had... Um Dr. Melmid on a couple of weeks ago, and he has a center in Arizona where almost exclusively now they diagnose adults. Yeah, yeah. So I would tell you guys to look at that. We're out of time. I don't know how that happens. It flew by. But uh, I hope that you guys all enjoyed. Uh, I don't, I, I, did you and Traven talk? Are you, are, are we showing a rerun tomorrow? He was going to ask you if you want to do a show without me tomorrow, because I'm not here tomorrow. Oh, uh, we'll, I we'll figure this out and you okay. guys will see. Well, I don't know what, but I, on Thursday, I'm back with uh, Moira Giamatteo for our Let's Talk Movies. Once a month now, we're reviewing I know, movies. I'm excited. Because That's it's so very fun. fun for me. It's very reinforcing That's for awesome. me. That's awesome. And we're, we're two ponies, parents of uh, neurodiverse individuals. So it always gets put through the I autism filter no matter it. what. But um, that's Thursday's one, show. One of these shows, you should ask Sonny to come and join you. Oh, my gosh. That would be so much oh, fun. Oh, and he's so knowledgeable about movies. Oh, well, yeah. he, we would have a blast yeah, with him. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. So wait till you hear the things that are making my head spin. The, well, because Moira and I were like the Siskel and Ebert in that we don't agree on most things. I love it. I love so it. So last... What, are you, what movies are you reviewing? So uh, I'm not an, entirely sure what we're reviewing tomorrow or, or on Thursday, but last month, one of her top ones that she loved was a show on... I don't, is it on Hulu? What is it on? The, under the Banner of Heaven. She just thought it was great. Oh, and I And I... <laughs> I hated it so much. So we're going to talk about that on Thursday because I, I hated it beyond I love it. all hate. I love it. it. And, and I didn't even want to finish watching it, but I was like, oh, I'm going to finish watching it so I can say I watched the whole thing. And, That's and terrific. It, and it is a giant turd in a punch bowl. So there. Um, but, but there's a bunch of other things that we're going to talk about as well. But I can't remember off the top of my head. Anyway, we're out of time. Uh, but tune in tomorrow to see. It might be Dr. Grand Pichet here without me, which that could, you know. <laughs> that and could then, be fun. Then I'll have no job left anymore. No, no, no. better without me. <laughs> so I don't know about that. But anyway, we're back tomorrow. Um, but if, if you haven't already written in, I don't know if somebody's written in to me. If somebody wants a free copy of my book, you need to email me, Shannon, at autism-live.com. And you have to have your name and your address so Kelly can send you the book. All right. And just one last thing, Brian asked for contact info. If you don't mind, just send your info to Shannon, yeah. and then I will get in touch. Absolutely. Shannon at autism-live.com. Happy to forward that over to Dr. Grampichet always. All right, you guys, so wonderful being here with you. Thank you so always much. Always a pleasure. You're Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll, maybe, we'll be back in some way tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.